All right, are you ready to study the scripture? Get your Bible out. Get your Bible and a pen. Uh, get a notebook. Um, I, I'm a big believer in, in taking notes when, you're, when we're talking about the scriptures because it, it is astounding to me how many people, when, uh, when I go out in the lobby and I talk to people afterwards, and they're like, Pastor, that was so awesome. I really enjoyed it when you said, and then they say what, I, what they think I said. And then I realize in my head, I didn't say that. <laughs> because what happens is the Holy Spirit speaks to them. When you open the scriptures, the Spirit of God, he, he's, he's going to speak to you. And you need to be ready, prepared to write it down. And so, uh, as you know, we're in this series on Luke. And it has been a fantastic series where we're just going through chapter by chapter. We're looking at an overview of the story of Jesus. And so, l- last week, we spoke about uh, Luke chapter 8. And we specifically were dealing with the healing of a demon-possessed man. And as I begin to describe this man, that Jesus, Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee, and he was, he was creating a beachhead uh, of, of his kingdom ministry in that Gentile area. And as I begin to describe this dem- demonically um, possessed man, some of your faces, your eyes glazed over. And, uh, and, and as, I, as we talked about it, I, I realized that there, we, we probably need one more week on this subject um, because of so much confusion about the, the spiritual world sometimes. And, uh, and so this, as the story goes, if you'll recall, Jesus deals with this man and, he, and the guy talks to him and Jesus asks him what his name is. He says, Legion, because we're many. He probably said it more like, Legion, because we're many. But, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. <laughs> and Jesus was pretty calm and pretty self-assured, and he spoke to that, uh, that de- those demons, and they, they were fearful of him, if you recall, and, and, and they asked him, notice, they asked Jesus for permission to go into the herd of pigs. And so, um, so he, they, they couldn't do anything without Jesus' permission. Jesus' authority was clear over them. They knew it. I just want to highlight for a second, it's not um, unique for demons to believe in Jesus. They all do. And, And part of what I want to talk about today is sometimes we can say we believe in Jesus, but there's, I mean, demons do that. There's something else that we are asked to do in the scriptures, to engage with Christ, to let him take over our lives, to lose our lives to him, and then to let him begin to work through us. And so in this picture of uh, Luke 8, he's standing here, he's talking, he's engaging this, th- these demons, and then they ask permission to go into the pigs. They go into the pigs, and then the pigs run off of the cliff and kill themselves in the sea. And so it's destroyed, and all the people from the town come out, and they, and they, they kind of, they essentially see this guy who was demon-possessed, and they used to try to chain him up. He ran around naked. And so here they are, and the townspeople come out, and they look at this guy, and essentially they're afraid of a guy who is in his right mind, 
sitting down, fully clothed, having a nice conversation with Jesus. And this is what strikes me about this story. Okay, you're not afraid of a freakishly strong naked man running and screaming through the town or through the tombs, and, but you are afraid of a guy who's in his right mind? Now, that is a messed up way of thinking. It's upside down. And, and, so, and so this week I want to talk, because so we're going to go into Luke chapter 9, and we're going we're gonna to look a little bit more at the spiritual war that goes on around us. And I want to clarify a few things as we do that. But we see this, this week's uh, message is entitled, More Battles, Hold the Bacon. More Battles, Hold the Bacon. No pigs in this week's story, because here's, here's the thing, we often... We often can't um, sort of connect with a story of a guy who's this demon-possessed. Because we don't get to see that very often unless you're down on 6th Street on Friday night. But then, but beyond that, it's, we, don't, we don't quite engage in, in a world. The spiritual realm doesn't kind of show up like that in Western um, culture. So we have to think about uh, how this works in us and what we're engaged in here. Um, some people get hung up on whether or not people can be possessed, right, by a demon. They're, I assure you, they can be possessed. But I like the way the NIV translates it most of the time, and they call it being demonized. Everybody say demonized. Demonized means being under the influence of a demon. Now, this is, this is what's crazy to me. I, I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm kind of a sports guy, so I watch basketball and I watch a lot of sports. I really don't watch much else. But the commercials during games, advertising all these weird, crazy, what I would call demonic movies. Have you seen this? They are everywhere. I mean, it is crazy. There's a movie right now called Sinister. And it's all about this, some demon-possessed woman. And then there's a movie that was called Mama. That's a mama you don't want. <laughs> some of you think your mama's depossessed. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> here, here, here's my, the point I want to make. People in our culture are intrigued by the spiritual realm. And, and we shouldn't shy away from it. We shouldn't make the scriptures or our belief system or, or our, uh, the way we live, what, this commitment to the kingdom of Christ and what he's doing in our lives and in others, we shouldn't make it just intellectual and we shouldn't just make it emotional. We shouldn't just make it about our physical dynamics or our willpower. No, there is something beyond. There's a, there's a war that's going on and it is unseen. And we need to be able to engage in it. And so look at chapter 9, verse 1, and we're going to read a little bit of scripture here. And so I want you to follow me. I'm going to try to go through it pretty quickly. When Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power. Everybody say power and authority. <laughs> Thank you. Do you want to repeat the whole thing with me? Or? Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. That was good. That was good. You're very obedient. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. 
They've been hanging out with Jesus. He'd been doing great miracles around them. And he gives them authority. And he sent them out to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. So he sends them out. He gives them a little coaching here. He says, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra tunic. Now, why did he say that? I think it's because he wanted them to be fully reliant on him, on God. Don't plan out everything. Just don't don't take all this stuff with you. It's just going to weigh you down. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, shake the dust off your feet when when you leave their town as a testimony against them. He wasn't saying curse them necessarily. He was just saying, look, you you are who you are, and we couldn't couldn't share the message with you, and we're going to go on to the next town. Now, Jesus gives them this power and authority to cast out demons. Now, I I happen to believe that I think every, every believer, every person who trusts in Christ, every person who believes in Jesus and has a vibrant relationship with him can cast out demons. It is just, it's like Christianity 101. Some of you are like, well, I've never been there. I've never been to that class. There there is power and authority that Jesus wants to give you to deal with the spiritual realm that you're working in, in your your environment at work. To deal with the spiritual dynamics of maybe being in a a marriage that is is really broken. He wants to give you authority and power to deal with these things and to to recognize them. So he sends them out, and then I'm going to skip some of the the rest of uh, 9 and go to verse 37. Verse 37. So turn the page, and here, here it is. This is a, a story about the, um, the disciples. The next day when they came down from the mountain, a large crowd met them. A man in the crowd called out, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, for he is my only child. A spirit seizes him, and he suddenly screams. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It scarcely ever leaves him, and it, it is destroying him. I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they could not. Wait a minute. Did, didn't he just give them power to, to cast demons out and to heal sick people? And here, here, here it is. Wait a minute. I, I begged your disciples to drive it out, but they couldn't do it. And then Jesus, you kind of can see, you kind of can feel the irritation. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long do I have to stay with you and put up with you? Wow, Jesus, ease up. Not one of his more pastoral days. What he's, what he's, what he's dealing with, he's like, look, this, this, is, this is real. This is, this is something you, you have to settle. He, he, he says um, in verse 42, or it says in verse 42, even while the boy was coming, the demon threw him to the ground in a con- convulsion but Jesus rebuked the evil spirit healed the boy and gave him back to his father and they were all amazed at the greatness of God whether whether or not you ever see a what you would call a demon possessed person what what I think happens to most of us is and and most people is they are under the influence of bad ideas they're under the influence of um of evil spirits, and it, and it starts messing with them. 
I want, to, I want to go over to Mark chapter 9, all right? Turn over to Mark chapter 9, and we're going to, this is the parallel story of this passage, but Mark is, gives us a little more detail. So I want you to read it with me. Mark chapter 9, and we'll look at verse 14, all right? Can you guys follow me there? Mark chapter 9, if you're there, say yes. Okay, here it is. When they came to the other disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and the teachers of the law arguing with them. And as soon as all the people saw Jesus, they were overwhelmed with wonder and ran to greet him. Uh, what are you arguing with them about, he asked. A man in the crowd answered, teacher, I brought you my son who is possessed by a spirit and it, that has robbed him of speech. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him to the ground. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. I asked your disciples to drive out the spirit, but they could not. Oh, and here he is again. Oh, unbelieving generation. Jesus replied, how long will I stay with you? How long will I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought him, and when the spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. And Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? <laughs> This is a great scene. Sorry to laugh. Um, but you got to see the scene. The, the kid is here, and he's like, and Jesus is just like, so how long has he been like this? <laughs> Jesus isn't worried. He's not worried. He says, from childhood, he answered, it, was often, it, 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 it has often thrown him into the fire or water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And then look at, look at what Jesus says in verse 23. If you can, if you, Jesus is like, wait, what did you say? If you can, hello, I'm Jesus. He says, and then he says these words, everything is possible for him who believes. Believes what? Believes for an outcome, believes to get what they want, believes for something that they've been really praying for. No, everything is possible for him who believes in Jesus. I've said this a couple of times, I want to say it again. I, I, I think we get confused about believing sometimes, that we have faith for an outcome, and that's not necessarily what the Bible teaches. What the Bible teaches is have faith in God. Have faith not in an outcome, but in a person. Put your faith in a, in a person. His name is Jesus. He has the answer. He has the solution. It may not be the one that you've been praying for or asking for or trying to figure out, but he has the solution. So here's what happened. Uh, verse 24 says, immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I, I do believe Help me overcome my unbelief. So here's this guy, and he's struggling. He's wrestling. He's like, I, okay, Jesus, wait a minute, wait a minute. I do believe, but I also have some of this unbelief hanging around. That sounds a lot like me. That probably sounds a lot like us. We're in this place between, okay, I really believe, but oh, I'm not sure if God's going to come through. I'm not sure how this is going to work. He says, help me in my unbelief. Verse 25 says, when Jesus saw the crowd was, that a crowd was running to the scene. So they've been talking. A crowd's running to the scene. He rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never enter him again. The spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took, great, Jesus has killed him. That was his solution. <laughs> 
But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. And after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? And he replied kind of like this, oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you, this kind comes out by prayer. And other translation says, uh, comes out by prayer and fasting. He, Jesus essentially says, look, there is a process here where, where you must grow in your prayer life, that you must be diligent in the way you pray. There is, Jesus is essentially saying there is uh, a need for you to have spiritual power that depends on the way you pray. He's already given them, he's already given them the power and authority to do this, and then they stumble on a guy that they can't quite figure it out, and, and Jesus is saying, look, there is a process here that you're growing in. I talked to a guy uh, from our church uh, last week, and, and he called me because it was just, it, he was struggling in his life, and, and things weren't going right. They weren't going well. And his, his job, they were, they, there was all these struggles at work. It, 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 his numbers weren't coming in the way that they needed to come in. And, and he'd been doing great before. And he kind of came, kind of, and he, he kind of came asking this question, man, I thought, I thought Jesus was with me. And I thought everything was happening and it was great and things were, were working. And, and, and then everything just tanked. And now I, I feel awful. Like, I don't, I don't feel like God's here, and I, I, don't, I, I, don't, know, I don't know what's happening, and, and, I, and I'm, I'm just struggling to figure it out, and I just feel so awful. And every day I kind of get up, and I just, oh, I just feel heavy, and I just, and I, so I started talking to him about it. We talked for a long while, and I essentially said, so let me ask you a few questions. What, what are you doing to encourage your relationship with Christ. And I asked him, you know, the questions some of you would ask. Are you reading your Bible? Are you praying? Are you having a conversation with God? Are you, are you being consistent in the way that you're uh, connected to him and to others? And he, he kind of answered no to each question. Well, yeah, I need to, yeah, I know. And what he was doing was he was consumed with his work. He was so consumed with his work that it was crowding out his most important priority in his life. And, and, the, and what I think was happening is the devil was beating him over the head. He was pummeling him over and over again. You're, he was having trouble with... With, with some issues in his marriage. So it was everywhere. It was at work. It was at home. It was in his heart. It was in his emotions. And he, it was just like, you're, you're lousy. You're no good. This is not working. It's, you know, the, the, the Bible calls the devil the accuser of the brethren. And here's the thing. If you're passive, if you're passive with your life, your spiritual life, if you're passive and you're just kind of working and you're doing your best and, you, you know, you kind of, you believe in Jesus, but there's not a lot of other things going on, guess what? If you're passive in this spiritual war, you lose. You lose. And why is Jesus so upset when, he, when, he, when, he, when they come to him and say, your disciples couldn't cast this demon out. And he says, oh, unbelieving generation. Because he's, what he's saying is, you can have this power. 
You can have this authority. And then he says to these um, to his disciples, he says, oh, this kind only comes out with more authority in prayer, more power. He doesn't describe what it is. I mean, Mark doesn't describe exactly what it means, but what we can deduce from it is there is a way of praying that gives more authority and more power. Now, I, I, I had an old tent preacher that used to say, new, new levels, new devils. Here's what I want you to see. Sometimes we think that we can figure out the spiritual life, and once we figure it out, we're good. Like, yeah, you know, I know Jesus, and I'm going to church, and, you know, I feel pretty good, and, 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 and God's working in me, and it's, it's awesome, and, and things are just going to get easier and easier and easier because I, because I got Jesus. Actually, that's not how it works. Jesus actually tries to talk people out of following him, if you read through the Gospels. Jesus actually says you need to count the cost because the way it works is when you come to Christ and you surrender everything, he comes in and he gives you power and authority. He gives you, he, he gives you confidence. He gives you security. He, he gives you peace. There's no doubt about it. But your growth, your spiritual life in him is only going to challenge you in greater and greater ways as you seek more of him. Now look, now look, this is, for some of you, you're like, wait a minute, I didn't sign up for that. <laughs> I signed up for the easy road. <laughs> Jesus says that the wide is the gate that leads to destruction and narrow is the road that leads to life. And so what happens when you come to Christ is you're dealing with, you feel like it's really hard work. Like you're dealing with things like, uh, like, like smoking or, or like, um, you know, cursing or, or, or sexual immorality. And you're, you're like, oh, this is so hard. I need to really just resist. These, these things are taking me away from Christ and not towards him. And I, I, I have to be a good steward of my life. By the way, the, only, the, the real reason to get rid of cigarette smoking is because it destroys your body. The issue with cursing is God wants to use you to actually reach other people. He wants to redeem your language. It's, 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 it's not like there are, are, are rules, thou, you know, thou shalt not say bad words. I mean, it's, it's, it's like a, a function of your heart. It's crude and rude, and there's something that must be different about you, and he wants to redeem your, your language as, he, as he's using you to reach other people. And, and so, so um, you know, sexual immorality, these are all, let me, and, and, and hear this, these are all baseline surrender issues. These are just base, these are beginning surrender issues. And what God is trying to do is grow us up into him. And spiritual growth and spiritual life is something that he wants to take us all through. Let me give you the idea from my kids. You know, my kids, I have an 18-year-old and I have a 6-year-old. Oh, I got a kid who's in his last year of high school and I got a kid in his first year of high school. Uh first year of school. <laughs> now, if, now here's the thing. There are repercussions that are more significant. There are more dangers. There are more dangers for Zachary, who is my 18-year-old, than there are for Owen, who is my six-year-old. If Owen has an accident, if you know what I mean, he has a little, if, if he has an accident in his pants, 
we say, oh, that's so, uh, he, you know, he really has been doing fine. Everything's fine. He's a he's six-year-old. It just accidentally happened. He's not in here, is he? Okay, good. <laughs> we, say, we say, oh, oh, bless his little heart. He's learning how to time it right and get to the bathroom on time. <laughs> if that same thing is happening to Zachary at high school, this is a real problem. You see, there is a process by which God wants to grow you, and the stakes are all higher. The challenges are greater. Now, the victories are sweeter, too. The dangers are lurking all around. But here's what I think the, the enemy wants to do, the, the, the devil. And by the way, none of you are being chased by the devil. Just to clarify, we don't know where the devil is in the world, but he's probably not after any of you. So when I say the devil, what I mean is the, 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 there's an enemy that has been assigned to you through this massive uh, uh, controlling authoritarian structure all around the world. And all these demons and minions are, are out there and they get assigned to you. That's how I see it. And, and as they get assigned to you, their job is to take advantage of you at every step, at every point. To keep you weak and weary and distracted and if you will give in to them, if you'll give in to their ideas that are whispered into your mind or into your head, if you're not, you're not intentionally resisting and pushing back, then they will begin to influence you. You may not be possessed. It might not be in your body. Might not even be, you, we wouldn't call you possessed. We would just call you under the influence of those bad spirits. You know, C.S. Lewis talked about this in the Screw Tape Letters. Great, great book. The Screw Tape Letters is uh, the 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 it's the devil ta- teaching his minions how to deal with us, people, God's people. And he says this. He says a moderated religion is as good for us as no religion at all, and more amusing. See, the the goal is to keep you distracted. To keep you struggling, if you turn over to Hebrews chapter 5, Hebrews chapter 5, look at this. Away in the back of your book, all the way to the right, way in the back of, of the New Testament, Hebrews 5, verse 11, here's what it says. He has, he, he's, the writer is saying, we have much to say about this, but it is hard to explain because you are slow to learn. Another translation says, you are dull of heart. You're dull in your heart. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature, who by constant use, everybody say constant use. Constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. Do you know you have to teach people to distinguish good from evil? You have to teach people to recognize good ideas versus bad ideas. Turn over to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. 2 Corinthians, just a few pages to the left. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Verse 3. I want you to see this. 
It says <clears throat> Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. This is his second letter, and he's describing something. He says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. This is one of the, this is one of the main problems with Christians in our American society is people think we're against them. And we have, to, we, have to, we have to learn how to be articulate about the issues and about what we're talking about so that people don't think we're against them. We're not against people. We're against the demons that give them bad ideas and try to destroy their lives, which is why we pray in private, right? We pray in private for these things, and then we treat people like gold because that's how God treats them. Treat people with care and love and understanding and compassion, no matter what they're wrestling with, no matter what their sin that's got them all gripped and, and, and in bondage is. So he says, we don't, we're not fighting with the weapons of the world. We're, we're fighting with something else. On the contrary, the weapons we fight with have divine power. If you, if you have your little pen, take it and underline those words right there. Just underline it. They have divine power to demolish strongholds, and that's the word I want you to circle, demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought, whoa, every thought, we take it captive to make it obedient to Christ. The first place you have to wage spiritual battles is in your own mind. We must win the battle of our own mind and the struggle that we are dealing with, the sins that have attached themselves to us out of our own habits and our own habitual patterns. We, we, have, to, we have to wrestle through that before we, can, before we can deal with somebody else who's crazy and trying to influence us. We have to make sure we're thinking clearly. Strongholds, and listen, listen here, this is much worse, I think. Strongholds end up being ways of people's thinking, patterns of thinking end up being sometimes much worse than even being possessed by a demon. Because at least being possessed by a demon is obvious. You can see it. A way of thinking just lives in you. It's a pattern. It's a bad idea. It's a foolish thought. It's, it comes, and, and often, a stronghold is a way of thinking that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, a knowledge of Christ, evil ideas, foolish thinking, corrupted worldviews, and wounded psyches. People who have, who have been wounded by their own family or their, or their own experiences. People who are struggling, struggling to think that they are valuable to God. People that struggle to believe that they actually even have sin. They don't think there's any sin. They don't even have a, an understanding of the distinction between good and evil. And even if they do, it's subjective. They don't, they don't really know where it comes from. The interesting thing about the story in Luke 8. Remember last week's story? The story with the pigs? The interesting thing about that story is the guy who was demon-possessed, he got delivered. But the way of thinking that the town had, more interested in their economic stability and the pigs than they are in people getting free, that mindset remained, which is why Jesus, they asked Jesus to get in the boat and leave. The mindset was the most dangerous thing there. 
And so you have to ask yourself, well, how do we change our mindset? What do we do? How, how does this work? I found that there's two places where, where, where bad ways of thinking, where strongholds develop, where bad thoughts develop. And there's, there are two areas. It's pretty simple. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a big mystery. There's two places that are the most common, and I think they are in relationships and in money. Now, now, I just put this up here because I want you to see it. People who are not, not surrendered to Jesus in their own hearts end up becoming the pawns of the enemy. And this is the deal. Is you, you can't understand why there's so much evil in the world. Look, it's, the truth is, if, you, if people are not surrendered to Christ, they'll be influenced by all these evil ideas. They'll be consumed. They'll be, their hearts are take, they're gripped by alcoholism. They, they are consumed by it. They get in a car and they drive and they kill somebody. That's a, that, that is nothing that God did. He's trying to rescue them from that. This is, a, this is a foolish decision. This is something that's gripped a human heart. But it's, but it's not, it's not uh, that's pretty dramatic. What I think happens is in our relationships, God's trying to get in our marriage and trying to get us to fight with each other. Trying to get us to, to be offended, trying to get us to be overwhelmed and frustrated with our spouse so that we'll, we'll start adopting the thinking, oh, there's no way I can fix this. There's no way I can reconcile. There's no way I can be done with this. I have to escape it. That's a much more common way of thinking. Because what that way of thinking is, is Jesus is not powerful enough to deal with this. I am not powerful enough to deal with this. What does Jesus say? Oh, unbelieving generation. Listen, you, you can have the authority and power that I want to give you, but you've got to take it. If you look at money, money is this th source of, of demonic activity all over the place. Pressure from not having enough or pressure from having too much. People are consumed with materialism or they are consumed with trying to get more. And they worry, they have anxiety, they have fears. All this stuff begins to grab a hold of them and they have to resist it. They have to, we have to resist the enemy and submit to God. That's what James says. Resist these thoughts and these enemies and begin to submit our lives to God. There's a great a great story in Genesis, that one of the first stories in the Bible, Cain and Abel had this argument because God accepted Abel's offering and, and he didn't accept Cain's offering. And so Cain 4, 6 through 7, it's God dealing with Cain and he's saying, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you, will, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must what? Jesus has ruled over sin. It is no longer an issue. He has dealt with it. He has taken the sins of the whole world, all of your sins, all of my sins. He has taken them upon himself. He is the ruler of it, and you are baptized into him. And you can receive the overcoming authority against sin in your life. But you must master it. You, mu you must be willing to be aggressive in your pursuit. So last, last, thing that, last few things that I want you to see here, Colossians 2, 13. Look what it says. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. In other words, before you cut your flesh away, 
God made you alive in Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. God and sin don't mix. His holiness separates him from sinfulness. There needed to be a bridge maker, a bridge builder. His name is Jesus. And Jesus came and drew us to himself, and he canceled the legal indebtedness, our, our, our need to pay the price of sin, of sinfulness. He canceled it, which stood against us and condemned us, and he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed, notice this phrase, and having disarmed powers, the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Here's a couple of ideas. How does this work? How does this work? How, okay, I get it. I get it, Pastor Ross. Jesus is in charge. I just need to surrender. How does this work again? Help me figure out the nuts and bolts of it. Here, I want to give you a few pointers. Ready? Relational sensitivity is one of the first signs of spiritual warfare. This is one of those things where you're, like, offended at everything. Like, when things just start not working right, and you're like, what's wrong with him? What's wrong with her? <laughs> this happens a lot in marriage. But it can happen at work, too, and it begins to lead you down a path. There are things going on around you. Here's the thing. The devil doesn't play fair. He capitalizes on every weak moment. He capitalizes on your weakest moments. It's a bad week at work. Guess, guess who's right there? Crouching. But Pastor Ross, you don't know how stupid my boss is. Or you don't, you don't understand what I'm experiencing. I am under such financial pressure. Look, what I know is the enemy's right there and he's crouching to take advantage of you in your weak moment. How do you keep from the weak moment surrendering to him? Here's the beauty, all right? It takes the devil two moves to get you. I love this idea. It takes the devil two moves to get you. Everybody say two. It takes him two moves to get you because the first thing is this weak moment. The first thing is this temptation. The first thing is somebody else does something stupid. The second move is always yours. The second move is always yours. And if you are inhabited by the Holy Spirit, if he's working in you, if you remember what this scripture says, if, this, if you remember who you are according to the scripture, if you really embrace the ideas that Christ lives in you, and you have power and authority to deal with whatever you're coming against, then you get to make the decision not to enter into the offense. You get to make the decision not to, not to respond with anger and control, not to respond with your own deception. You get to respond. It takes the devil two moves to get you. And here's the thing. He only has real power if you give it to him. He only has real power if you give it to him. There's power that he has in the world. There's no doubt about it. And plenty of people have given him more power. Plenty of people are able to be used by him unknowingly. That's why, that's why the message of salvation is so important, people. That's why the message of the kingdom, we have to carry it. And then here's the thing. The best response to spiritual warfare is to be steady. 
The best response to spiritual warfare, whatever's happening around you, feel these, these pressures coming, is just to stay steady. You just keep moving. You just keep going forward. You don't look to the right or the left. You just keep steady. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, as Hebrews 12 says. You don't freak out and email blast all your friends <laughs> and make them unsubscribe your email and mark it off because they don't want all these crazy emails from you. The devil's after me. Oh, no. Listen, the devil's always after you. I don't care. You're in a battle all the time. Don't freak out like you suddenly discovered you're in a battle because you're going to be in a battle from now till the day we see Jesus come and take his final authority in the earth. So you're going to be in a battle. And so what do you do? You might be on the front lines and you're fighting it out. You might be on the, on the back lines trying to recover and trying to train but you got to believe that you are in this battle, and you just be steady. You just be consistent. No big decisions in the midst of the, that kind of warfare. No big decisions. People make major mistakes when they're in the midst of this conflict, and they're struggling, and then they don't know what to do, and they make a foolish decision. I have five habits that prepare us for spiritual battles. I'm going to send it to all of you in an email because I have no time left. So, so here's what I want you to do. If you're not on the email list, you need to subscribe. You can always unsubscribe. Um, <laughs> and you can get on the email list by just giving it to us in your, in your worship guide. You can write it down there and I'll send it to you because I, I think we have to go a little further. We, I want to give you some habits. It has to do with reading the scripture. It has to do with becoming the scripture. It has to do with becoming the ideas that are in the scripture. It has to do with how you pray and what, what, what kind of conversations you have. It has to do with the idea that you are really, you are in need of other people around you who will help you be safe. One of the devil's best plans is isolating each one of us. If we're isolated, we're not connected to the community of Christ, guess what happens? He picks you off. Oh, life is so hard right now. I'm not, I don't want to go to church. I don't want to. Listen, you go to church even though you don't feel like it. You stand there even though you feel nothing. You stand there and you shake hands with that person. <laughs> smile, smile, smile. You, you, you stay steady in what you know to do. You, you stay steady in what you know to do, and you do it out of faith, not feelings. Guess, what Guess what's going to happen? You're going to meet somebody who's going to walk with you. You're, you're, there's going to be a moment where God will sort of break through and encourage you. I want to encourage you to be those kind of people. Don't be passive. There's a, there's a one-year Bible reading plan on the website, onechapel.com. I read the Bible every day. Do I enjoy every passage? No, we're in Leviticus. <laughs> I don't want to read about another sore. <laughs> or some kind of, never mind, we don't want to go there. But here's what I do. I get up and I read that and I read the text and I get it into me because I know that rattling around, that obedience, that consistency, that commitment to push forward in my spiritual growth in life is going to pay dividends later. Okay? So I want to challenge you to do that as believers. And there's people in our city who are waiting for you to stop being distracted, stop being consumed by bad ideas, they're waiting for you to share the message of life. 
You know it. You just got to get the courage to share it. Close your eyes, bow your heads. Let's pray. Father, would you give us understanding? Would you give us grace? Would you give us, you give us revelation on what you want to do with us? I pray for every person in the room. Some of us, some of us are in the midst of a, the fight of our lives. I pray that you would visit them and you would just put your hand on them. Even here in this room, you would just touch them by your spirit. They would have an awareness that you are here. That they're somehow connected to you. Give them strength. Lord, I pray for peace in the midst of the storm. I know you won't take away the storm every time, but you will bring peace in the midst of it. Would you give all of us the kind of understanding and the kind of grace that we need to walk in the, in the authority and the power that you have provided for us. We receive it now. We receive it now. Maybe you're here today and you are just realizing that you need to make a commitment to Christ, that your life is not given over to him, that, that you're, you're consumed by bad ideas and you're living them out and it's, it's killing you, it's destroying you, it's destroying others, it's destroying people around you, and you realize it, and today you want to say, Pastor Ross, would you please pray for me? I want to commit my life to Jesus. I want to welcome him in and begin to just put away the, the awful bondages that have gripped me. Maybe it's, maybe it's just been a long time. Maybe you have had a slow slipping away from him. And today you find yourself realizing, I need, I need to respond to Jesus. So whether it's the first time or the first time in a long time, if you want me to pray for you, I'm not going to call you forward, I'm not going to embarrass you. I just want you to make a commitment today to follow Jesus, to let him into your life, to help you, to give you power and give you authority. If that's you, just shoot your hand up in the air right now. All over the auditorium, I see you over here, down here in the front. Yep, I see you over here, way in the back, over here. Anybody else? Anyone else? Just, this is, this is it. i got to commit my life to Christ. I see you way up there in the back. I'm committing my life. I'm, I'm surrendering. May, maybe really for the first time I understand it. I see you over here on the side. Anybody else? Anybody else? This is your moment. Yep, I see you. God sees you, more importantly. God sees you. Come on, let's pray this prayer together. Everybody just lifting your voice and let's pray it together. Everybody say, Heavenly Father. Thank you for Jesus who died for me to wash away my sins and to give me peace and strength and grace for the journey. Forgive me for doing it on my own, for doing my own thing. I repent. I want to follow you. Come into my life. Give me a fresh start. Make me a new person so that I can live for you and you can live through me. I receive you now. Thank you for forgiveness. In Jesus' name. Father, I pray for every person who's prayed that prayer that you would seal it by the work of your spirit and you would lead them and guide them out of this room and into a life walking with you. I thank you for that. Lift them, their hearts, their eyes, 
Help them to fix their eyes on you. We thank you for this. In Jesus' name.